0: Grace and peace to you, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you know that Thanksgiving tradition where you go around the Thanksgiving table and each person says something that they're thankful for? It can be a really uplifting tradition to hear what your relatives are really thankful for. But does it sometimes make you feel a little uncomfortable because they start with the person here And you're sitting here. And this person says they're thankful for the turkey, food, family, friends. Your little nephew says, Jesus. And as it keeps going around the table, you realize everything you were going to say is getting eaten up. And so as it's coming around the horn, you're thinking to yourself, He said Jesus. Can I say God? Is someone going to judge me if I say the cranberry relish because I actually enjoy it? And then you, you, you think to yourself, of all days to get stumped, am I really going to get stumped on Thanksgiving Day of something to be thankful for? So this morning in our sermon, I want to help you out so that if you have this tradition at your house, you don't get stumped. And we're going to have our own guests at our own table here this morning. And we're going to see what these Bible witnesses have to tell us about what they're thankful for. Our first guest would put Santa Claus to shame. You can't see where his beard ends below the table. You see the most weathered face you've ever seen But he's no mountain hick. You can tell by the way he carries himself that he once grew up in a king's court. But he's not a proud prince like he used to be. You can tell what was written about him in the Bible couldn't be more true. There was no one more humble than him. But then you remember a little bit about his life, about all these people that were complaining against him, to the point where they were going to stone him to death. And then you remember that golden calf incident where the people were literally worshiping a golden calf idol while he was up on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments from God himself. And you remember what God said to Moses. I'm going to wipe them all out. I'm going to start over with you, Moses. And you remember what Moses said to God? He said, blot me out of your book so that these people may live. And it kind of reminds you of Jesus. But despite all the hardship that Moses went through of leading millions of complaining people, he doesn't get to go into the promised land. He's leading these people out of slavery in Egypt to the promised land God had promised. But he doesn't get to go. Why? Because he hit a rock instead of talking to it. Really, God? Seems harsh. And so you're thinking to yourself, what is Moses going to say he's thankful for? You see the ancient prophet rise to his feet and he puts both hands down on the table and he looks at you with the loving eyes of a grandpa. And he says... Don't forget, don't forget all that God has done for you. How he led your ancestors out of slavery in the promised land. With every plague, he mocked the gods of Egypt. But he did more than save these people. He preserved the gospel message so that it could touch your heart too. But he does more than give you the gospel message. Remember what he did for those people. He gave them manna, bread from heaven, a miracle every day. Even so, some of these people I led who saw miracles every day, they could care less. They forgot God and they died in unbelief. Know what God does for you. Every prospering that happens in your life comes from God. He gave you your strong body and the food to nourish it. But don't fool yourself. You can be tempted in the same way. To think, I've done this. I have earned all this wealth. And you forget about God. And when you forget about God, it's really hard to be thankful. Don't forget what God has done for you. He has called you to be His own child. I will never forget what God did for me. You remember when my parents couldn't hide me anymore from Pharaoh. My mom, she made this little basket out of reeds and she coated it in tar and pitch. And there I was, floating on the water. I'll never forget what he did for me. He never forgot me. He never forgot his people, Israel, who were suffering as slaves, and they cried out, Remember us, Lord! And there was the salvation of Israel floating in crock-infested water. And there Pharaoh's daughter, she heard me crying, and she drew me out. And I became the prince of Egypt. I will never forget that. But you, you've got more to be thankful for than I do. You see, God sent another little baby, one who forgot all about the joys of heaven, and he placed him into this sin-darkened world floating in the arms of a teenage girl. And he grew up and he set his sights on the cross to die, to rise so that he could draw you out of the water. You see, you were dead meat floating on the water. There was nothing in you that made him draw you out. It was his grace. Never forget that. You can tell Moses would go on and on, but he's getting emotional, so he sits back down. And your gaze shifts to the next guest. He's not nearly as old as Moses, but by looking at him, it looks like his body's been through more. You see the hunch in his back where he was stoned and left for dead. You see where the viper fastened itself to his hand. You see the hitch in his nose when he was struck in the face for speaking God's word. You remember the stripes he received on his back when he was thrown in prison. You remember the death threats and the late night escapes. And you see the shipwreck in his eyes. And yet it's in those very same eyes that you see that There's nothing he wouldn't do for the gospel for God's people. And yet you wonder, what will Paul say he's thankful for? Your ears perk up as he motions with his hand to begin. Dear believers, I know what it's like to be in need and I know what it's like to be in want. I know what it's like to have all my needs abundantly met. And I want to share with you the secret of being content because I can see that many of you struggle with being thankful. In fact, many of you are depressed. You're divorced or the product of divorce. What do you have to be thankful for? Many of you had your loved ones ripped away from you without the chance to say goodbye. What do you have to be thankful for? Your life's a mess. You have those sleepless nights. I remember those sleepless nights too. I remember one in particular. I just had my back shredded, and I was in jail. I couldn't sit up any longer. I had to rest my back on the craggy wall. But by God's grace, I was still singing hymns of praise. Not because I'm some super apostle, but because God had taught me the secret of being content in every situation. You see, whether I was in prison, or whether I was feasting at Lydia's house, The promises of God were just as certain. So when I wasn't strong, when I couldn't break my chains, when I didn't know what was going to happen to me that night, the next day, I could rest in the strength of God and his promises because he had dealt with the problem in my life. Even in tragedy, even in hardship, I could be thankful, not because I was strong, but because God was. So when you go home and you go back to your shredded life, and you're not strong, you don't need to be, because the promises of God are just as certain, and they're strong. That's how you can be content in every situation. You can tell Paul would keep going on, but our last guest jumps to his feet and he says, I've got to tell you my story. I was a Samaritan, a half-breed. God had told our ancestors, don't intermarry with foreigners, with pagans. But my forefathers did. And when the people of Israel came back from captivity, they wouldn't have anything to do with us. When they went past my city, they'd go all the way around. They wouldn't talk to us. And if that wasn't bad, being treated like a pig by the Jews, I contracted this disease, leprosy. And so not only was I Despised by the Jews. I was banished from my own city, my own people, my own family. I lived in a leper colony. But it was there, other Jews in that leper colony. They told me about this fellow, Jesus. They said, Jesus can heal us. They said, He's the Savior. But you see what the problem is? We couldn't go out and find him like everybody else because we were banished. But we came up with this plan. We know everyone's going to go to Passover. So if we get close enough to the road, just maybe he'll go past and maybe he'll have mercy on us. And that's exactly what we did. We saw a couple of our relatives trickle by, but we were looking for him. And then we saw him. So we cried out, Lord, Master, have mercy on us. And then my heart skipped a beat because I saw his eyes looking for where that shout came from. And then his gaze locked on us. And he said, Go show yourselves to the priests at the temple. We looked at each other. Could we really be clean? Could we really go and enjoy the Passover with all our family and friends? We took off running. And before you knew it, we were halfway there. And all of a sudden, I could feel my nose again. My ear wasn't about to fall off. And my hands, they were all there. And I was about to keep going to the temple but I realized only God could heal like that. And so I said to myself, why would I go to the temple when I can go and praise God in the flesh? So I ran back to find him, and I buried my face at God's feet. And then he said, the other nine, where are they? Has only this foreigner returned to give me glory? And he said that because I was a half-breed, a Samaritan. He shouldn't even be talking to me. And those other nine, they were Jews, they were his people, they were in. What happened to him? they got caught up with the joys and the pleasures of this world over their Savior. And that happens to us too. But I've come to realize that we're really all half-breeds. Jesus said, Don't mingle with sin but we did it anyway. We couldn't help it. So he said, get out. Get away from me. It's exactly what happened in the Garden of Eden. They fell. And God said, get out of the Garden. We can't walk and talk like we used to. But in that very same moment, he gave them the promise of a merciful master who would have his sights set on Jerusalem where he would go die and rise to banish our half-breed status forever. So that a Samaritan like me could stand before God and he would say to me, Go. Your faith has made you well. And he says the exact same thing to you. He invites you to walk with him all the way to heaven. No amount of guilt or shame will keep you from the presence of God. Don't forget to thank your merciful master. It's an easy thing to know what he has done for you. But don't forget to rest in his peace. So what are you going to say you're thankful for? Is it going to be the turkey, the family, the friends, the football? Or is it going to be the fact that he's still provided pastors for you even though you don't have a full-time pastor? That he's provided a principal, teachers, a school, a balanced budget? Maybe you think of the miracles that he has provided in your life. The very fact that you have faith. Or maybe you think, of the blessings you receive through faith, through the sacraments. Think of the Lord's Supper. It's easy for someone to say to you, your sins are forgiven. But when you go back to your life, and you fall, and the accuser comes, it's easy to doubt. And so Jesus knew that, and so He gives you the Lord's Supper, and He says, I want you to be sure that you're forgiven. So I'm going to give you the very things that won your salvation, your forgiveness on the cross, my very body and blood. Not a representation. The real deal. So that when the accuser comes, you can say, He never forgot me. My sins are forgiven. Thank God. Amen.